the coming of the kingdom. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it will be as it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you. There was a, a great thing happened in the last couple of weeks um, that I just became aware of, and it was the national prayer breakfast. It was a parliamentary prayer breakfast. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but basically it's at uh, Westminster Hall in London, and it took place on Tuesday the 5th of July. And it's the second time I've watched it, and basically there's a load of politicians from Westminster are invited, and a lot of them come along, and, and this particular week, um, this year, a lot of the top conservative ministers came. Boris Johnson was there, Sajid Javid, um, I think Rishi Sunak was there. And obviously it was troubled times for them. It was two weeks ago before all of the resignations took place. And as we were watching the service, as I was watching the service and a couple other friends were watching it too, there was a real sense of God's power at work in the worship. Um, a pastor called Reverend Les Isaac, who started Street Pastors, preached and it was a really powerful message about integrity in public life and there was just a sense that the Lord was doing something and that day Sajid Javid who isn't a Christian uh, was impacted by everything that he experienced at the service and he went home and wrote his resignation letter to Boris Johnson and that was the first resignation and following that 
there was a obviously you know you know what happened the domino the dominoes dominoes fell and it ended up changing the government um and the leader of the government the conservative party and it was just a sense of um sajid javid said you know he was just really impacted by the service by what was preached what was spoken and um it was a sense i took away from it that god was at work um organizing events orchestrating events and you could really see it happening. And the worship leader was a guy from Portadown who was leading the worship, and he said that there was just a real electric sense of God's power in the room. And it was a real good reminder that, you know, when there's, there's government and there's kings, but then there's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who orchestrates all of history and rules over all of creation. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God being God's sphere of rule and reign in the world. And look at that. And basically, we're, we're going to use, again, as our basis for this, the Storylines book that we've been going through. Last week, we looked at the Jesus storyline. And this week, we're looking at the kingdom storyline. And the authors of this book say that the kingdom storyline in the Bible is basically after the, the theme of the Jesus storyline. This is the main theme of the Bible. And more than anything else, Jesus taught and spoke and demonstrated the kingdom of God. That's what he taught about, that's what he spoke about. But many of his followers didn't understand. They, they, they struggled to understand, and, and many of us today, I think, struggle to understand exactly what is meant by the kingdom of God. So I thought I'd start this morning with a definition that might help sort of ground us and, and kick us off. And it's from the Gospel Coalition, and, and they define the kingdom of God like this. They say the kingdom of God is the rule of God over his people in his creation, established through his Messiah in the new covenant, which is now present in the world, though it is also waiting for its fulfillment in the second coming of Christ. So I think that's a pretty good definition of the kingdom of God. The authors of the storylines book trace and track the theme of the kingdom of God through the Old Testament beginning with the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived in harmony with their king, enjoying his rule and his protection, his blessing and his provision. But then things obviously took a turn for the worse and humans went their own way. And the, the blessing and protection, most of the blessing and protection of the Lord was lost as we stepped out from his reign, actually in and under the reign of sin and death. We exchanged that beautiful good reign of the king of kings for the reign of sin and death. But that wasn't the end of the story because God was pursuing his people and he wanted to reestablish his kingdom and, and bring people back under his rule and his blessing and his protection. And so we see him forging the kingdom in the Exodus, gathering a people to himself, giving them a land to live in and a law to live by. And under that law and in that land, through the reigns of Solomon and David, the kingdom initially flourished. And it was looking like it was going well, but then generations of downfall came through kings who turned their backs on the law and on God. And eventually the kingdom of Israel was exiled. And there was this prophetic hope rose up where actually God would send a king to intervene and to do what people couldn't do and reestablish the reign of God on earth, on the throne of David. And it would be an unending kingdom, a never-ending kingdom. And so the Old Testament ends with that hope. And then there's 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak. He doesn't appear to be active. And the people begin to get confused and get worried and, and get 
fearful and start to make up and, and predict ways to try and figure out, well, where is the Messiah and where is this prophetic hope coming from? But no one's really sure. And then rumors start to circulate of prophecy being fulfilled, of a baby being born in Bethlehem, and no one's really sure what's going on. And then one day in Nazareth, a man walks into a synagogue and takes a scroll and unrolls it and reads these words from the prophet of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then that man rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were glued on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so what he was doing was announcing the fact that he was the Messiah, Israel's long promised king. And that person was Jesus of Nazareth. And for the next three years, he went around doing the things that Isaiah and the other prophets had predicted he would do. 351 prophecies in the Old Testament he fulfilled. He proclaimed good news to the king, uh, of the kingdom of God in miracles and parables. He set prisoners free. He restored sight to the blind. He set oppressed people free. He demonstrated, the te uh, demonstrated and taught about the kingdom of God relentlessly. When Jesus began his public ministry in Mark 1.15, he announced the arrival of the kingdom, saying, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And then he sent out the 72 later on in Luke's gospel, and he said, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And when he was questioned about where his power came from, Later again in Luke's gospel, he said, if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. And so in everything that he taught and everything he did, he demonstrated what the kingly rule of God was like in the world. In the passage today from Luke 17, Jesus is teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. And I believe we can learn some things from that scripture that can help us to understand the kingdom of God in the here and now and what it means for us to be citizens who live under his kingly rule, not led by the culture, but led by God. So the first thing we learn is this, citizens of the kingdom of God trust the king. In the passage, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replies saying, you guys won't be able to find it. You won't be able to say it's over there or it's over here because you think you know and can predict by signs when the kingdom's coming. The Pharisees were always trying to work out different ways of trying to predict when the Messiah would come, but they missed it entirely. And what Jesus says to them is actually, the kingdom of God is among you. What he meant was the king of the kingdom of God was standing right in front of them. And the things that he was demonstrating clearly showed that he was the Messiah and that God's kingly rule was coming into the world with him. But the Pharisees had missed it because they expected someone different. They expected a king who would lead a rebellion and overthrow the Romans and be a great warrior like David was. And so they didn't recognize him. And because they didn't recognize him, they couldn't put their trust in him. And really, to be honest, the disciples weren't much better because in this passage, they also ask the same type of question, which Jesus doesn't answer, which is, where will this happen, Lord? They too appear to be missing what's going on. 
In some ways too, we as followers of Jesus often have our own expectations about exactly how God will work. We think he'll work one way or another, but he's king and he's sovereign and, and we have to submit ourselves to that and open our hands and, and just look to see where he's at work rather than trying to figure out and expect where he's going to be. We need to be open and open our hearts and say, your will be done, Lord. And, and sometimes when we're waiting on him to work and waiting on him to act, we can become impatient and start to doubt and think that he's absent. But scripture tells us and guides us and it says, wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And in another place it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And sometimes, you know, maybe things aren't going our way with a health issue and that's really scary and many of us are going through that type of thing or, or at work we become frustrated with certain patterns or people we have to work with and we become downhearted. But scripture again guides us that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And so in these moments of doubt, our prayer should be a prayer that is full of faith and trust in the king. And he taught us to pray this way. He said, when you pray, he said, your will, pray this, your will be done, your kingdom come, that we would ask for God's will to be done over our own. And that is what submitting to the kingdom of God is. It's, it's replacing and desiring his will to be done over our own because he knows best. He's the king. He's the king of the kingdom. And we trust him because we know that he loves us and that he will bring about his good purposes in his time, in his way. If you aren't a follower of Jesus today, Jesus invites you to come under his kingly rule and leave behind the rule of the world. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's just a, a beautiful way of saying that actually things we think are freedom in the world are slavery. And things that looked like slavery to the world, coming under the rule of a king who isn't elected, who is eternal. Um, that might look like slavery to the world, but it's actually perfect freedom. And what the Lord's doing is inviting you into that. And we have to go through the relationship with Jesus to access the kingdom. He says uh, to Nicodemus in John's gospel, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The beauty of the good news is that it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are or what your background is. Jesus has paid for it all on the cross. So whoever you are, to be in the kingdom of God and enjoy his loving rule and his provision and his blessing in your life, all you need to do is recognize him as king and put your trust in him. And you can do that by praying a simple prayer. And again, like last week, I'm going to sit down at the front. If anybody's here and they want to do that, they want to discuss that a wee bit more, I'd love to chat to you after the service. The second thing we can learn from the passage today is that citizens of the kingdom need to understand the nature of the kingdom. So Jesus has just finished saying to the Pharisees that the kingdom is among them, it's within their grasp. And he goes on to talk to the disciples about the coming kingdom, teaching them not to follow those who say, it's coming over here or it's over here, not to be fooled by those things, because actually when the king comes, there'll be no mistake in it. He says, as lightning flashes up and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. Nobody's going to be mistaken about that. It'll be very clear. 
But again, the disciples are confused because quickly after this, Jesus says, but first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. So even they at that time must have sensed that while the kingdom of God maybe was among them, they were listening to what Jesus was saying. There's also this element that it's still to come. And this is often articulated um, in a kind of Second World War analogy where D-Day spoken about and how monumental and important and significant that day was where the um, allies landed and, and took back a patch of enemy territory and dealt a decisive blow to the enemy that day. And, and that's really the analogy for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that he dealt a final blow to sin and death and um, pain in the world through his sacrifice on the cross. But yet, and the kingdom came in that moment and the kingdom has been established and that patch of territory has been taken, but yet there's a sense that it isn't completed yet because VE Day in Europe in the Second World War was the final completion of the war, the victory. And so the victory will fully come whenever the consummation of the kingdom comes when Christ returns. And at the minute then we live in between the tension of those two days. And so that means for us that we will still struggle, we'll still be involved in struggles in this lifetime. Not everything will be easy. The, the writers of the storyline book um, highlight two potential pitfalls that we can fall into during this time, and, and they're basically opposites. One is the prosperity gospel, where we start to believe too much that the victory is now, that the full victory is now, that the kingdom has been consummated. And so we lapse into this idea that every prayer should be answered, everybody that we pray for should get healed, that uh, every difficult circumstance that we encounter should just be reconstructed by God in the here and now. But ultimately that leads to disappointment because that's not the full reality because only some people we pray for will get healed, others won't, because the full consummation of the kingdom hasn't come. Equally, on the other end of the scale is the poverty gospel where we believe that nothing good will happen in this time, that no one will get healed, that no one will come to faith if we share the gospel, that no difficult circumstances will be overcome because the only good things that can happen are when the Christ returns. And a lot of churches, a lot of people in the Christian faith hold these views at extreme ends of the scale. And it does bring division in the church. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's the balance. We live in the tension of these two things. And actually the call of living in the tension of those things is to have faith and trust the king, to understand our place in history between these two events and be sure of the fact that the victory is coming, the full victory is coming. And that even though trials in this life do come, that they're momentary and they're not insignificant and the Lord sees you and the full victory will come. And so the temptation may be not to pray, not to offer to pray for healing, not to share the gospel with someone, but we know that the Lord has asked us to go. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength is to obey his kingly rule. And to love our neighbors as ourselves is to offer and share the kingdom with them in word and deed, always with gentleness and respect, because we know that the kingdom of God has power to change lives. 
the last thing that I want to look at from the passage is this. The last lesson we can learn is that kingdom citizens value the kingdom above all else. Jesus goes on to speak to the disciples about the time when he'll come again saying that it'll be like the time of Noah or the time of Lot when people were going about their business so engrossed in their lives that they had missed the warnings of the judgment that was about to come. And whenever the judgment comes, it's too late. Jesus says this in the passage, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then the fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it'll be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You know, we see so much of the brokenness of our world on the daily news cycle. It's hard to take, and especially hard to take when we're carrying a lot of times our own disappointment and our own fear and our own anxiety about our own lives. Sometimes we're dealing with stress or loneliness. And purpose does help in life. It's not that these things are bad, the, the, uh, the buying and the selling, the eating and the drinking, the building and the farming even. These things are good. All these activities that we get involved in, God has given them to us, and, and we should get involved and, and live our lives in that way. But we need to be careful not to let anything take the place of Jesus in our lives. Because the way the kingdom of God is actually coming on earth in this present age is through the hearts of God's people. So God's people are those who don't get overly involved and, and begin to let these activities and these creative things take the place of Jesus. We put Jesus right in the number one spot. We, we seek to obey his word and live by his rules and we worship him and we keep him front and center. And in that, God shapes us and changes us into kingdom citizens and that has an impact on the people around us and we're not led by the culture of the world we're led by the revelation of God's word in the bible the bible says seek the kingdom above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need the secret of the kingdom is that God meets all our needs by replacing our worldly desires with kingdom desires Jim Elliot was a Christian missionary who um, spent his life and laid down his life trying to take the gospel to unreached people with a group of his friends. And he and his friends perished in that act. And um, he said this before he, di he died. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Kingdom people value the kingdom above all else. The passage today says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you let your life go, you'll save it. So what do we do? How do we go out of here and, and kind of try to apply this to our lives? I think we need to wait in watchful obedience. We need to seek to be obedient to God. We need to understand the kingdom and trust the king. And we need to patiently wait whenever things don't go our way knowing that he loves us and he's working on our behalf and interceding for us and that he's on the throne and that he won't be overcome. We need to understand that tension of the kingdom, the now and the not yet. We need to seek the kingdom above all things, receiving the love of Christ every day in our hearts, seeking to be a non-anxious presence in the lives of those around us, bringing peace 
and a calm head because we're citizens of an eternal kingdom ruled by a good king who loves us beyond all measure. And one day when we least expect it in this lifetime or in lifetimes to come, just like that, Jesus will return. And nobody will mistake it on that day. And he'll make all things new, as it's written in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or no more sorrow or crying or pain because all these things will be gone forever. And that's a great promise from the kingdom. So let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you are on the throne, that our trust is not misplaced. Lord, we pray and ask that you would just give us patience. Um, Lord, that you would build up our faith and our trust in you as our king. That you would always help us remember where we are in your salvation history. And that, Lord, you would help us to have hearts that seek the kingdom above all else. Lord, let your kingdom come here in Bangor. Lord, bind up the brokenhearted. Heal the sick. Set the captives free. Bring provision and healing and blessing, Lord. Use your people, Lord, to do this. Fill us up and send us out, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his glory.